Stay faithful. Stay faithful through the life's ups and downs. Through the ups and downs of serving and following Christ. The Apostle Paul this week in Acts 18, as we walk with his life, we're going to see literally a roller coaster of ministry and life for the Apostle Paul. It was Friday, and we were at my grandfather's funeral. And in the midst of that funeral, my bride would begin having contractions. And the following day, our first son would be born. The lows and the highs of life. Many years later, it would be at my own father's funeral that I was sitting there looking at my dad's casket and putting my hand over on my wife's womb, realizing that within about a month, there would be another child born that my father would never know. The heartache, the low of that, but also, and the time comes for the child to be born, the up. Life has its lows and its highs, its ups and its downs, and some of us here are more emotional than others, and so you can tend to follow that maybe to a greater extent. And God's just the way He's wired me. I'm more emotional. So my highs can be really high and my lows can be really, really low. And so God's really tried to work with me on not getting the roller coaster of life. But we follow Paul this week and I think there's amazing things that we see in his life. So let's journey with Paul. Paul comes, he leaves Athens and he comes to Corinth. And I don't know if you can see the Google imagery there, but that's probably the best color for that. But Athens is some 40 miles there to the east of Corinth. Corinth, estimated population at this time, is around 200,000 people. It had been revived by the, by the Romans in around 44 B.C. after they themselves in around 146 B.C. had gone in and conquered the city because of a revolt. It, um, it's a city that was thriving because of the Mediterranean Sea here on the east and the west that provided great opportunity for people that would want to pass through. They would literally put their ships on, on, their, on the land and carry them across back into the sea. And so this place became a thriving metropolis of people from all cultures, languages, all trades. I mean, people are coming there from everywhere. And Paul shows up there. And what you need to know about Corinth is it was the Las Vegas of its day. Read the letter to the church at Corinth. In fact, we have two of them, 1 Corinthians and what? 2 Corinthians. Paul is dealing with all kinds of things. Why? Because people have come out of a lifestyle in a world in which everything goes. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, and it should, I mean, it consumes the lives of people. So Paul is there, and he leaves. And it's interesting, as we follow Paul's life, if you remember last week, we were with him in Athens. Guess what? Paul spoke on the resurrection, and the thing that kind of finishes the chapter says that some mocked and some believed. Paul is riding the roller coaster as he shares the gospel. Some are mocking, some are believing. And so now he comes and we begin to ask, will this discourage Paul? What will this keep Paul from doing? These hard moments of life and ministry. Let's walk with him. In verse 2, we see that it, he found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So what happened here is they issued this edict, this decree, and this command of the Roman Caesar, and he began to push the Jewish people out. We know that full well. Why? Because we've seen it with the Nazis. Some of you lived through that period of time. You knew what it looked like to literally live and see a Holocaust. Some of you may have walked in there and gone to see some of those things. We see it now in our culture with ISIS coming in and just slaughtering people, Jews, Christians especially. 
We know that what it would be like for these people in the midst of having to flee and leave their home. Many of them, as we heard their stories, they leave with only the, the clothes on their back. That's it. They leave all the family possessions. They leave their occupations, their jobs. Many of them well-schooled, well-trained, well-educated, uh, financially affluent. They leave everything and are living in tents. This day, while you and I sit in here in this well-shaped building, they live in tents. People just like you and me today, they live in tents. Paul has shown up and he meets Priscilla and Aquila and he goes to see them. And it says, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked. So what work is Paul going to do? Well, it says that they are tent makers by trade. Interesting is that why is Paul working? Paul says later in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says those who make their occupation of preaching and teaching of the gospel have the right for the church to uphold them financially, to affirm them in that. So why is Paul doing that? He's using here also his right to refuse that so that he can provide for his own means. And because why? Because many people were saying things. Well, he shouldn't be taking any money, right? And we hear that today. We see those things happening today. And so Paul's saying, all right, guys, listen. In any way, I want the gospel to go forth. But he's working and doing tent makers by trade. What's interesting is, is uh, Ben Witherington, he's a known scholar, um, very, very um, sharp guy. He, he looks at a lot of this and he says, listen, um, something that would have been happening that would be very interesting in this time period, what was called the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games happened about every two years. And it was... Um, Athletics, but also musical competition. For this, every peop all the people came to Corinth. And guess what they would have to do when they came to Corinth? Tents. They would either rent a tent or they would actually buy a tent. Guess who was making tents? Paul. So Paul, the same as he did in Athens, he's there in the marketplace, and guess what? He's sharing the gospel. Some of you, listen, God has given you an occupation in the field, and people come to you. Teachers, they come to you. Why? Because they need education. It's an opportunity to live and share the gospel. Mechanics, guess what? People come to you. Why? Because people like me don't have that skill. We don't have those tools. We don't have that knowledge. It's an opportunity for you to share the gospel. Grannies, people come to you. Why? Because you guys love us and you cook awesome. Right? But it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Paul is there and these tents would have provided many opportunities for him to come and share the gospel. I ask you to look to your own life. And so, Paul, we follow him. And it says he, verse 4, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. He says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Many things are here that are interesting. One is it says that he reasoned with them and he also persuaded. All right. This is indication in the Greek. This is an ongoing. Paul didn't do this just once and give up. He's continuing to reason. He's continuing to persuade. Furthermore, when it says the word there that he is occupied with the word, he's testifying the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This is a great moment. This is a roller coaster up moment. He's getting to tell people the only hope of the world is Jesus Christ. The only opportunity you have to be forgiven of your sins, to be right with God, is through a man by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was actually God in the flesh. He died on the cross, not for his own sins, but for yours, that you could be forgiven, that you could be redeemed before God. Paul is occupied with that. The word occupied literally means that he's committed or compelled to do it. Committed or compelled. How do you stay committed or compelled when the roller coaster is way down in life? How do you do that? 
No pun intended. Do you take your tent and go home? What do you do in those moments? Some of you are there because there's discouragement with your job. Or maybe as parents, there's discouragement with your children. They don't want to seem to listen. I want to remind you from the biblical text that your first call as a mom and dad is not to be their best friend. It would be their mom and dad. That's hard moments at times because I would be what? I want to be my my boy's best friend. I want them to like me. I want you to like me. But Paul is there and he's occupied. He's committed to it. He's staying faithful. Pete the Cat, I don't know if you can see it up there. It's Pete the Cat and his four groovy buttons. I don't know if you're a Pete the Cat fan or not. If River was here, I would ask him and he would probably tell me he's not because he thinks it's a kid's book. I don't know who he thinks he is. He must already be an adult. But anyway, look what happens with Pete the Cat. He starts out with four buttons and now he's got two. But pop, oh no, another button popped off and rolled away. How many buttons does Pete have left? If he had two and he lost one, it gives him how many of them remaining? One, yes, this is quick math for all of us, right? And then he says this statement. Did Pete cry? Goodness, no. I needed that this week. Goodness, no. Did Paul close up shop and leave? Goodness, no. Look what he says. Buttons come and buttons go. The reminder is there's going to be times in life when things are good. There's going to be times, Paul, when things are bad. If it was like that for Paul, should I not assume there's going to be some times like that for me? And since Pete just kept on singing his song, my button, my button, my one groovy button, my button, my button, my one groovy button, pop. Oh no, the last button popped off and rolled away. How many buttons are now left? Zero. You guys are Westmoreland, you following this, right? All right, all right, all right. He's going to be teaching math soon, so I want you guys to pay attention. Did Pete cry? Goodness, no. Buttons come and what? Buttons go. Pete looked down at his buttonless shirt, and what do you think he saw? His belly button. And he kept on singing his song. My button, my button, still have my belly button. My button, my button, still have my belly button. It's all good. I want to remind you, your buttons may be gone this week. But there is a button that will always remain. And so as you look down and see that cord that once attached you to your mother, in the moments that are hard in life, you need to remind that there's something greater than that umbilical cord that once attached you to your mother. There is the Spirit of God that comes to indwell a man or woman that will empower you by faith to remain steadfast and faithful. So when you see that belly button, say, Thank you, Lord, you haven't left me. Thank you, God, you promised never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In this world, brothers and sisters, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Well, Paul continues and it says in verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. One moment, Paul is sharing the gospel. And the next moment, he's being opposed and he's being reviled. Interesting, the Greek would show us behind this that the word opposition indicates this isn't accidental. They're at work to get rid of Paul. This is a scheme. This isn't an accident. This is an intentional game plan to get Paul out. And in this statement here, the word reviled. Um, I don't know if you're packing King James, New King James, uh, New American Standard also. You're going to see, instead of a word reviled, you're going to see a word that starts with a B. And it's what, you know? Blasphemy. Right? That's what's being done here. What's interesting about the text is we're not certainly 
sure, when it says that it reviled him, or the original Greek language is going to read, as some of you, your translations catch that, it literally says, and they blasphemed him. The question is, are they blaspheming Paul, or are they blaspheming Christ whom he's speaking about? Whatever the case is, the slander is intentional and it's verbal. This week, I took maybe, maybe the worst slander that I've maybe received in my life. It happened yesterday. Yesterday, I'm on my couch, Bible open, and I'm studying. And two little boys walk in the room. Dad, we're playing. Yeah, guys. Dad, why do you work all the time? Josiah says, Dad, all you ever do is work on your sermons. River 7. Dad, you never play with us anymore. We always play by ourselves. That's what my life feels like, too. Phone rings. The next message goes off. The Lord stung me. I immediately said, no, guys, I play, I play. And the Lord began to replay to me just this past week. Tuesday, we had gone to my mom's, and while the kids were outside playing, I was in the chair, and the Bible was out, and I was working on the sermon. Present, but absent. Wednesday, we're traveling. Brother Todd and I are out of town. We turn back, and church is there, and then a late-night meeting, and so no time Wednesday. Thursday, out of town again, and Returned back, and I'd planned to get home. I promised River we'd work for about 30 minutes or so on baseball before we went to practice. But instead, I stay late, work on the sermon, and get home only to realize that my headlight's out. And I try to do that. What I don't know I can't do, be a mechanic. But listen, that's what we do, right? We work at our job, and then we go home and work. And when we're at home working, we definitely don't want our kids to interrupt. And so we tell them to get away. And so we're late to eat supper. And then we eat supper. We eat supper mainly to run to the ballpark. And I'm coaching, so there's no more intentional time there. And then we run home, and it's back home. And Friday's supposed to be a day off, but instead of doing a day off, I'm behind on sermons. So Friday, all the kids and even neighbor kids are playing, but I'm in the chair in the driveway working on the sermon as kids just run by. Saturdays, more stuff and more sermons and... Today is preaching and all kinds of things today. Church tonight and then more meetings. And the reminder is this. Minutes, hours, weeks go by. And we're present as moms and dads. But we're not present. I don't share that because I want your pity. God just said there's a lot of you live the exact same way. That's the way you live. Day in and day out. I mean, I had to sit there and I asked, will my boys have any desire to follow God in ministry? Praise God, He's greater than all of my faults and failures. And if He calls them, they'll answer. But I have to ask you, is the way you're living your life what you want your kids to follow? Are you so consumed with work and, and this? And listen, they're great things. I mean, I mean, also, I mean, I, there's nothing I love more than to work on sermons and to preach and, and to prepare and to look at God's Word and spend time in just focusing and meditating on it. But I have to start asking some serious questions to you and I. Are the things that we're doing, are we neglecting the children and the people that God has put around us? Some of you, you don't have kids, but it's your spouse that you treat that way. You haven't had a meaningful conversation in months. 
If you're just consumed with this after this after this, Paul's there, he's being opposed, and that word says he's being reviled. It's hard. Remilement stings. There's not a person in this church could have said anything that would have hurt me any worse. To hear my boys say, Dad, you don't ever play with us anymore. We always have to play by ourselves. Paul, in the midst of opposition and revilement, he shakes out his garments. It's a visual that he's saying, I'm done with this. He'll say, your blood be on your own head, citing back to the prophet Ezekiel who said that we have a responsibility to warn those that there's judgment coming. And if they reject it, the blood's on their heads. But if we don't warn them, if we don't share the good news with them, then we're guilty. He says, from now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. This isn't a complete separation from the Jewish people, but he's moving that direction, especially here in Corinth. And then Paul leaves there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I can wonder that maybe Paul felt like this. You ever been there? God, I want a one ticket anywhere but here. You ever felt like that in your marriage? Ever felt like that in this church or another church? Ever felt like that with your job? This community? You just felt like, man, God, I just want a one-way ticket. Get me out of here anywhere but here. I don't care where it's headed. I don't care where it's going. As long as it's not round trip. Paul's there and he leaves. And then the moment of which you seem the roller coaster of life seeming to just plummet into despair. Verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue... Believe in the Lord. Wow. The ruler of the synagogue? That's going to cause some problems in the synagogue. Together with his entire household. There it is again. Paul, just in the moment in which he's reviled, and he's, 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 they're, they're attacking him, and they've got uh, intentional plans to get rid of him. Man, there's God just doing his work again. There's his life just swinging back up again. Paul is there, and it says, In many of the Corinths, hearing... Look at this. Watch this word order. They hear... They believe and they're baptized. That's the order. Romans 10 and 14 says that it's impossible for people to believe without hearing the gospel. So you, I want to ask you, listen, some of you have just gone to hearing and then you went to baptism. Was there true belief? Was there what Jesus says? A man or woman cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're what? Born again, John 3 and 3, right? No one can enter the kingdom of heaven. Be ye born again. What's he saying? saying the Spirit of God must come to indwell you. This isn't just rah rah ree when the life's up there. This is for the valley. To know that you are filled with God's Spirit. To know that you are sealed. Ephesians 1 and 13 says, for that day of redemption, God's Spirit is in you. So people must hear, then believe. And baptism is the response to that belief. Not saving them, only the blood of Christ. No act of obedience will ever save you. One act of obedience did save you, and it's your faith in what He did that brings about the salvation of God. Paul's there, and he's just he's sharing this. We're seeing Paul deal with ups and downs of life. And then it comes further. And the Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, verse 9, Do not what? Paul, you just seen the ruler of the synagogue saved. You said the entire household, many other people in Corinth. I mean, how can you not be excited? But again, God who knows all of our hearts speaks to Paul because he knows Paul's heart and he knows yours. And he says, Paul, don't be afraid. 
If I was honest today, I would confess to you that I have some fears. Fears for this church currently with where we are and where we're headed and the potential for division. These words were shared at a conference that Brother Todd and I attended this past week and it, it really spoke and I hope and pray that it's similar to you. Verse 14 of Hebrews 12, Strive for peace with everyone. The NIV says, Make every effort. The New Living Translation says, Work at it. That's how life is. If you are to make peace with your home, with co-workers, with your children, with other people in the church, it isn't always going to be easy. We've got to strive for it. We have to labor for it. We have to work at it. We have to make every, every effort. Look what he says. It's with who? Everyone. Not just the people you like. Not just when your days your spouse pleases you. He says, listen, this is with everyone, even those that maybe you consider your enemies. And look what he says. For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says, your lives reflect and draw people. They point people to Christ. And then he says this statement. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Paul says that we are to look out for one another. And you know what's hard about looking out for one another? When I'm mad at Emily, I don't think a lot about her. I'm not looking out for her spiritual well-being. I'm usually thinking about what she's done to me or what I've done to her. And we're miles apart. That's what happens when there comes division. You stop looking out for one another's souls and worrying about the grace of God and then walking in the grace of God. And then if you're not really careful, Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says these words, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, by this root of bitterness, look what he says here. Many become defiled. God said, Blake, you think that root of bitterness that's growing in your heart is not a big deal? Some of you think it's not a big deal what you're dealing with on the inside. It is a big deal. Paul is, or the writer of Hebrews is citing here from uh, Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 and 19. It was a reminder of the people of Israel, listen, if you don't deal with that bitterness that's going on right now between you and your spouse, between you and kiddos with your parents, between you and other church members, people at your job sites, listen, if you don't deal with that root of bitterness, you may think it's just affecting me. No, it's not. It, in, the, in Deuteronomy it says it is a poisonous fruit. It is beginning to divide many. It's beginning to defile many. And listen, the truth is, let's be really honest, when we have that bitterness, we really don't care much about their defilement. We're not really worried about their grace of God. That's the danger. That does not reflect Jesus Christ. So what you need and what I need desperately is a work of grace in my heart. I need to spend time on my knees and on my face. God, remove the bitterness from my heart. Oh God, I cannot live this way as a husband any longer. Oh God, what am I doing as a father? Lord, please. Oh God, why do I feel this toward people in the church? Oh God, take it away from me. Oh God, I need your grace. Show me how much you love me. Show me how patient you've been with me. Show me how meek and kind you've been with me. That's what the church needs. That's what your family needs. Stop waiting on someone else to do it. You be that kind of spouse. You be that kind of parent. You be kind of that kind of brother or sister in Christ. And that takes an abundance of grace. 
Monday, I received this picture. I know their pajamas don't match. I'm sorry, Em. I should have probably told you this before I put it up there. Monday, it was Judah who took this picture, and Emily had sent it to me. And then Thursday, Josiah, having absolutely no idea that Judah had done this on Monday, evidently went and got my shoes, just like those are daddy's shoes. And it's almost the same exact picture is sent to me. And the Lord asked me, Blake, you're in a, a nosedive right now. Can your boys walk in your shoes and follow you? Blake, can you look to the church this morning in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 with Paul and say, follow my example as I follow Christ? Fellow brothers and sisters, can my children walk in your shoes? And will you lead them to Christ or will you lead them away from Christ? Well, be careful, little feet, where you go. It was the exact picture, the imagery that I needed. Be reminded, my boys want to follow me. And they want to follow you. Are we leading them to Christ or away from Christ? You can answer that by allowing God to examine your heart. Last year's VBS statement, Search me, O God, and know me. See, O Lord, if there be any offensive way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, search me, God, know me. Lead me, God, in the way that You would have me to go. Well, look what happens with Paul back here again. He says, listen, don't be afraid, Paul. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. That's the temptation, obviously, Paul's dealing with. He's, he's saying, listen, God, it's just time to close up shop. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't, I can't keep up this anymore. God, it's not worth I mean, Paul's dealing with some real fear. And Paul says, or Jesus, God says to Paul, Paul, keep on speaking. Don't be silent. And in this statement, for I'm with you. For I'm with you. Some of you need to hear that today, that reminder. What can empower you to remain in that marriage? I'm with you. What can empower you, young people, to stay in school and to keep working and not give up and just throw that class off or just forget about school? I'm with you. What can today empower some of you as you deal with depression? You don't want to even get out of the bed. You don't want to put your feet on the floor. You don't want to face another day. You don't want to see the sun again. You just wish that maybe you hadn't woke up this morning. Maybe you today would hear this. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Go on. I'm with you. Go on. I'm with you. Isn't it beautiful in those moments, oftentimes, where we feel like a child? God, I can't take another step. He's that good, good father, Brother Corey. He comes and takes that hand and says, Come on, baby, I'm going to teach you to walk today. And there's times we say, God, I can't even walk. He said, That's all right, I'll carry you today. I'll carry you today. I'm a good, good father. That's who I am. That's who I am. For I'm with you. Paul's facing some real threats, for it says, And no one will attack you to harm you. Saying they're not going to, no, 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 saying they won't attack you, Paul. But I'm saying the physical harm that you've already experienced, the stoning when they left you back for dead. Remember that, Paul, back in Acts? Yeah, you remember that, Paul. And then the next statement. Four. I have many in this city who are my people. Elijah felt the same thing. Elijah dealt with that in 1 Kings 19. He's facing off against an evil king, Ahab, and his wife, Jezebel, is even worse. She is a cutthroat. 
Elijah falls down and feels like that life's over, that he's the only one. And God says, Elijah, don't forget, I have 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. But that's the tendency in life when you're facing the downs. You begin to look around and it feels like nobody's with you, that no one cares, no one understands. Nobody understands the trouble I see. Right, that's so. That's how it feels. But he says, Paul, listen, there are my people who are there. Don't become discouraged. Don't give up, Paul. And then he says, he said, a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Paul again, back on the upswing. Why? Because God intervened and spoke and empowered and changed his course. Some of you, you need to hear from God today. You need a Word from God, the Spirit of God, to speak to you through His Word that can empower you just to stay a little longer. I mean, you're considering throwing the towel, but He's saying, listen, oh Lord, you're with me. Oh Lord, I'm not alone. I can stay a little longer. Staying faithful to the Word of God. But man, as soon as Paul's life seems to be on the tick, 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 tick back up, soon it falls again. But... (laughs) When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Could we say this, that those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, as Paul said, will suffer persecution? He's not saying it's just pretty words that sound good on a page. This brother lived it. This is his life. It's a united attack. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law, but... When Paul was about to open his mouth, man, this is a beautiful moment that I need tons of times in marriage and ministry and just all of life because I have a tendency just to vomit up stuff. He's about to open his mouth and Galileo said to the Jews, hey, listen, this is about your law and your names and all these things. If it was something actually that returned to our law, then I would accept it. But as it is, you guys handle it. Do you praise God for those moments when you're about to open your mouth and the Spirit of God intervenes and does something that totally derails what you were about to train wreck with your spouse, with a co-worker, with someone else in the church, with someone at the ball field? He was about to open his mouth. We need to pray, brothers and sisters, that James 1 would be true. Let us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I pray it every time I walk on the basketball court. Oh, God, don't let me. And Friday, I mean, listen, it got intense. I was playing just for a few moments. It got intense. God said, Blake, stay back. Stay back. My flesh, man, I want to jump in the middle of that. Every time. It's just part of my DNA. I just want to be in the middle of it. I want to be in that fray. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to be there. I don't want anybody on my team feeling like I don't have their back. We need moments. We're reminded that God... Says Blake, stop, stop. They refuse to judge it, and they seize Sothenes, who's actually the ruler of synagogue, verse seventeen of Acts eighteen, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. And Galilee pays no attention to any of this. And then, as we close today, Paul's life begins to start moving up again. It's amazing. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. It says he comes to Ephesus, verse 19, and he left them there. He himself went to the synagogue and began to reason with the Jews. Again, Paul, when he said that, remember he said, I'm done with the Jewish people. I'm going to the Gentiles. He's not completely, but he's moving that direction. So when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. 
And he said, sail from Ephesus. A few things I want to ask you in closing this morning. Maybe four things. Don't forget that He's with you. If you're in Christ, you have the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's the promise you have in Christ. No matter what you're facing, no matter how deep your life has seemed to plummet, He's with you. Number two, don't forget that you're not alone. There are always, God will always have His people. No matter how it may feel, our feelings don't trump the truth. Don't forget that you're not alone. Number three, if you're dealing with bitterness, whether it's toward your spouse or job or people in the community or people in the church, you need to ask God to pour out grace to change your heart. We need it. I need that. I need it right now. Fourthly is this. Pray, God, make known to me your will. Right? I mean, they asked Paul to stay a little bit longer, but he declined, right? God, I, I need to know how long that you, you desire for me to continue in what you call me to do here. God, I need to know what you're asking me to do, whether it's in this job or, God, whether it's school. Lord, I'm not sure necessarily what the next step is. Or maybe some of you are considering contemplating like marriage and you're saying, God, I'm not sure. Should I ask? I mean, should this person, God, is this who you want me to be with? I mean, we really need to begin to say, God, I need to know your will, Lord. God, make known to me your will. And Lord, I realize I am easily led astray. God, I am easily distracted. God, I can easily take a detour. Oh, God, have mercy on me that I don't take a wrong step. Pray this over your children. Pray it over our church. Why? Because the prophet Isaiah warns us, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts and ways above yours. It's a reminder we all need Jesus. Brother Paul, or Brother Paul, Brother Todd, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. I heard that a while ago. Every what? Hour I need thee. I need him every hour. I'm going to be straight with you, church. I've got some changes to do. Yesterday at 11 a.m., the Lord stung me through a four year old and a seven year old. I don't know what that looks like right now for me. Maybe you don't know either, but I do know who does know, and I do know that it's time for me to make a change. It's time for some of you to make changes. You've been alienated from your spouses for far too long. You've been alienated from kids for far too long. You've been alienated from other church members for far too long. Would this morning just be a moment of humility for all of us as a church to say, God, we need you. We need you. You know exactly what area of life it is, but... It's time to make some real changes. This morning, would you respond to grace, forgiveness, love, hope, peace, joy? All those things have a name. Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I come. Ah, Lord, I wish I could stand here as this... Dad, who has, has just rocked it out and done awesome, but Lord, um, I stand as a failure today. I know that's not always reality, God. It's a feeling I have right now, but that, that's, that's who I feel like. I said, eh, what a failure. What an idiot. Why would I keep doing all, these, all this stuff, as great as it is, God, and neglect my own boys? What an idiot. God, forgive me. Pray for the marriages here, God. They're struggling. 
I pray. I know there's roots of bitterness. Hard. Roots that have, they've gone deep. They've been there a long time and they've choked that marriage out. Lord, send some righteous roundup. Send some righteous roundup to get deep in the roots of our hearts, God, and remove the bitterness toward our spouses, toward other church members, our brothers and sisters in Christ, throughout this community and the world. Oh, God, we need you, Lord. I need you, God. I am messed up today. I'm just confessing it, Lord. I am messed up. My heart is hardened. I'm frustrated. I'm afraid. I'm a, I, don't, I don't know, God. I don't even know how to even, how to even make a change, Lord, to be different as a dad. Easy to stand and say it to the church, but what do you do tomorrow? Monday starts. God, I don't have all the answers for these people. I don't. I can just confess it today. Listen, I don't have the answers. But I know that you in them is more than enough. I know that they don't need me and they don't need the carpet of this altar. They just need Jesus, Lord. Please, God, would you draw our hearts towards you today? Please, God, would you just change who we are on the inside? Please, God, you're a good father, Lord. We are hurting. We are weak. Oh, God, we need you. Please, Lord, this church, it needs you, Lord. Please, God. Don't let us be divided. Don't let our homes be divided. Don't let our community be divided. Oh, God, please. It is my only cry to you, Lord. I need you, Jesus, for me and for these people. Thank you, Father, that you're faithful. And I know you're going to hear that cry, and I know you're going to answer do your work in my heart and the hearts of these people. It's the name of Christ, I hope, and I pray. Amen.